Welcome to the third edition of the Attack Target Developer Podcast. I'm Roger Brinkley, and in this edition of the podcast, we'll do a feature interview with Matt Trapina and uh, Ryan Moore on ET Elements. But before we get to that, we'll get to the news. And, well, actually, we won't get to the news this week because there's really not any news this week. But let's just jump directly into the events section. And in the events on February 25th, uh, there's an Indianapolis developer meetup. We talked about this last week. There's a new Indianapolis developer uh, group that has been started by Kelly Ann. If you'd like to participate in that, you're in the Indianapolis or Indiana area, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, just go to their um, link on our website, and uh, you'll be able to uh, do the sign-up there. And, and uh, look forward to meeting you there on February 25th. Then on March 5th, the Portland Community User Group is going to be a dis- doing a discussion on the Hub Exchange. And on March 25th, uh, the uh, Indianapolis Developer Meetup, uh, again, we'll be talking about AMP scripts and APIs. And April 17th, the Indianapolis Exact Target community is going to be talking about AMP scripts and data exchange. Turning now to our feature interview, and had an opportunity to talk to Matt Trapina and Ryan Moore today about ET Elements, so let's go directly into that interview. Matt and Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Most people don't know who Matt and Ryan are, so why don't you give us just a, a quick introduction as to who you are and what you're working on. Great. Uh, my name is Matt Trapina. I'm uh, the, one of the development managers for the email product line, just part of the email exact target marketing cloud. I've been here about three years developing all different types of applications. I started off as an actual uh, software developer, working on some distributed applications for some of our more distributed clients. That application was distributed sending. Is it like all of our applications, a marketing cloud application? Right now, I'm working on a number of different email products for the marketing cloud, all focused around email deliverability and really trying to get to a good spot with the email team as far as getting consistent application development. And I'm Ryan Moore. I've been with ET a little over two years now and UI engineer front-end lead, so I'm kind of leading the charge with the Elements thing right now. So let's talk about ET Elements. What is it? What are you trying to accomplish? Give us kind of the scope and the direction of what you're doing there. Uh, ET Elements is really a, an initiative on the email team to try to standardize the way that we develop. The, the things that we develop, we feel are have a lot of value for not only our email customers, but the exact target marketing cloud as a whole. And we don't want to have all the things that we develop only part of email applications. And, and the idea behind ET Elements and our initiative is to allow our development expertise, our development pieces and components and applications to be reused across all of the channel products that Exact Target offers. It's really just all about consistency and being able to leverage our expertise to help other groups. And then ideally, other groups can help us leverage their expertise. If I heard that statement coming out, I'd say, yeah, it sounds like a lot like the Fuel APIs. How is it different? Is it the same? What are you doing with those? I guess our goal at the end of the day was, you know, I'm a developer developers, so I like to work smarter, not harder. So as we're looking at the existing email code, which is literally billion dollar code, uh, we're just looking at a way, can we, instead of lovingly handcrafting our code, can we do a little more code manufacturing so that we can reuse these components to make life a little easier for developers, as well as give our end users kind of a unified user experience? What's the relationship between ET Elements and the Fuel APIs? Bootstrap, the UI library, is kind of the base of Fuel UX. So you can think of Fuel UX as kind of the base of ET Elements. We are just 
adding more controls. And while Fuel UX is kind of, you know, just basically just drop down lists and grids, some of ours are going to actually be what we call components, which are controls tied to APIs. So we're just extending what Fuel UX can do for you in kind of an ETE-centric uh, way. What type of components are that you're working on right now? Uh, one big thing we can think about is transactionals. So we're creating an app for um, transactional uh, messages. Um, we, we, we are currently support that in our application today. Um, but one thing that we're working towards is allowing big portions of our application to be reused, like, like Ryan mentioned. So if you think about creating a transactional message on our platform, email may not be the only one that wants to do wants to create a transactional message. Maybe Journey Builder does. Maybe uh, mobile does uh, within their workflow and their application. So the idea behind ET Elements and the components framework is that we can, on the email team, develop a reusable piece of software that can be dropped into any application that anyone will want to create a transactional message. And so as part of Journey Builder, they will be able to create transactional messages that can leverage email's capabilities. But the email team would be the one developing that software and developing that interaction, but can still be leveraged across multiple channel products. Let's talk about the architecture a little bit. Why don't you go through and break down that architecture that you have, what this looks like. Look at, at what you've done. It, it looks a little bit like a, a model view controller type of, of layering of, of, of the architecture, but why don't you explain it? We're really into backbone on the email team, so if people are familiar with that, it's probably nothing's going to really surprise them here. The elements themselves, we've come up with a framework. Uh, we call it the element generator that uses a technology under the hood called Yeoman, and what that guy does is it helps you just run a process and it cranks out a lot of the boilerplate code as far as sets up unit testing for you, sets up some grunt build processes. So just a lot of the, the stuff that we use under the hood that we don't want developers to have to set up each time they just want to make a component. Our approach with uh, backbone models would be good because the idea is that our API, all of our fuel API, um, we want to explicitly be tied to a particular model that represents that API's view in the UI application, and then being able to reuse those those models. So really, we're trying to abstract the need for API developer or UI developers to really, really know what API they're interacting with. They're more interacting with something that they they're familiar with as far as the backbone JavaScript uh, piece of software, um, and then that should in turn communicate with the API. Uh, it just gives a little bit more separation our dependencies between our different layers of our software is, is one big thing we're trying to accomplish. Is a developer going to, are they going to be able to not have to understand the fuel APIs at this particular point, or they're still going to have to have a good understanding of what's happening with the fuel API? The models we are getting, we would have documentation so you could treat the model as kind of a black box. Here's the parameters you can pass in. Here's the functions you can call. So you don't necessarily need to understand you know, what the route is and all that type of information. So it is kind of black boxing the APIs. Elements can use those models to further black box so that a UI developer doesn't really need to even know that it's a model under the hood. They just know the touch points that ha they have through the UI control. So it seems like to me what you would end up with would be a very consistent user look and feel when you get done with it. It's a huge goal on our, on our team and even in the organization to make sure that we can drive consistency across all of our channel products. Uh, and then from how we develop API, how our API is, is structured, the type of pa uh, payloads that we get back from the API, and even how these look within the marketing cloud. It, it's a really big, important thing that we are trying to accomplish here. How long have you guys been working on this? Uh, we've been uh, working on probably about eight months, eight, nine months, trying to really focus on uh, um, 
getting everything aligned so that's very transparent to the rest of the organization that we can really try to make sure everyone kind of understands what we're trying to do, things, some of the things we're trying to accomplish. So this was designed for internal use, uh, internal developers at this particular point in time. What type of success have you had so far? What have you seen in interactions with other groups? What can you tell us about as far as how it's, how it's been working with uh, groups outside of the male group so far? Uh, we've had some great success stories. Uh, one of our uh, early adopters uh, applications and components was built around the content. Our content team here is building reusable components so that every single channel group can build upon their content and bring that into their application. If we have uh, an image or an image library, um, for instance, that is a particular component which can be leveraged across the channel. The team is building that component into our application so we can pull channel from a, a single source or content from a single source, sorry. Um, and, and the mobile team is also doing it with the same component. So they're really able to leverage the expertise of the content team building components solely based on content. And then uh, all the channel applications can pull from that same content repository using the same control, the same component, the same interface. So it really gives a seamless approach to um, uh, interacting with that particular piece of uh, data. So obviously consistency was one of the big things that you wanted to achieve, and, and you've done that um, in those examples that you showed there. What about the amount of time it took them to come up to speed uh, with this new architecture or this new design? Uh, was, it, was it fairly quickly? or you know, How quickly could they adapt to this change? One of the interesting things is when I kind of first started putting together this generator, it was figuring out what are the core technologies that we want to use. Um, what do the developers around me know? If I put this certain piece of technology in there, is anybody going to know what I'm talking about? That was one of the fun things for me was just getting to talk to all the other developers and figuring out where we are as a group. Of course, we've had the interesting, uh, I myself am a Mac developer, so porting this thing to Windows, we've had some interesting challenges, but all in all, it's just been a fun puzzle. We've all been kind of solving together as a group, and we've had a lot of happy people so far just getting us up to speed. Anything else you guys would like to add? Real reason behind some of the advantages of doing uh, componentized development, um, one of the big one is testing. When you think about our application as uh, all of our marketing cloud applications, they are, there's a lot of software behind all the power that ExactTarget has. The, the one thing, one challenge we've always found is testing and testability and being able to test um, with enough uh, success that we can actually have really bug-free software. And uh, one of the big advantages of developing with uh, ET Elements and a, a componentized uh, methodology is we get to scale down what we have to test. So as we build out smaller and smaller components and smaller pieces of, a, of an application as a whole, we're able to get really fine granular testing based on each one of those individual components. Developers and the quality engineering team here at Exact Target can really focus on a smaller piece of the application, uh, try to find really minute edge cases that need to be tested, obviously. That's something that might be a bug with a component. And then we can actually focus on fixing that in a smaller scale rather than what we currently do as an uh, organization and build out applications as a whole and then test it in the form of an application. And typically we find that we, we, we miss a lot of things. We miss a lot of edge case bugs just because of the size and the scale that we work with. But as we build out components, we're able to test these pieces of software really uh, at a smaller level. And that gives a lot higher test rate of what kind of bugs we find. And then it makes them also smaller to fix because they are so compact 
and centralized to one particular component, it just will lead to an overall better application in the end. In, in short, by componentizing the development and componentizing the testing, you're really allowing the testing of the application to really be about the business logic and the corner cases and the business logic. You know that the components themselves are, are pretty solid then. Correct. Right, right. So as we have lots of components, we, we add those into an application, wire them together, and then we're really just working on the business, the business case of why this application is. You're testing a different edge case and a different test at that level than you would at the component level. How would you encourage developers on the outside to look at componentizing development within their own applications? I think applications are big, no matter the size, scale, scope of anything of an application. When you think of an application as a whole, it's more than a little bit of JavaScript or a little bit of backbone code. There really is a lot of things in, in any type of application. And with anything that any, any engineering team, if it's a uh, uh, if it's a chemical engineering or if it's software engineering, it, the best way to success is to break down that into smaller, smaller pieces so that you can really identify uh, what you're trying to accomplish as a whole. And that, that's really what we're trying to accomplish internally within ExactTarget. Anything else you want to add, Ryan? Uh, I would just say that as we start rolling this out, we want teams to jump on board. We don't want to have full ownership of this. We want this to be a team effort. So anybody that is interested in this, you know, contact us. We want people to contribute to this, you know, make this a success across all groups. Matt and Ryan, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Turning now to the What's Cool segment. And so in the What's Cool segment, I got a new panelist that has just joined us. So Michael Clark, welcome to the show and uh, tell us what's cool. So this week I wanted to just take some time to discuss an, uh, uh, an object that's available in the exact target scope API that you may not be aware of. And this object is the subscriber status event. It represents any time a subscriber changes status, whether they're going from active to unsubscribed or unsubscribed back to active. It's a really powerful and flexible call in that you can filter on both the current status and the previous status to get exactly the information you're looking for. Um, it also supports retrieve all since last batch, which is very helpful since this keeps track of the last record that was retrieved on the exact target side. So you can retrieve and just get the information that's new and updated. Perfect if you're looking to set up a sync process between uh, two different systems. And the last piece that makes it very interesting is that it is the place that you're able to get the unsubscribe reason out of exact target to the API. If you want more information about it, just Google or Bing subscriber status event, and it will be the first hit. It is subscriber status event, all one word. Christopher, welcome back to the show this week, and uh, what's cool? Hi, thanks, Roger. Yeah, so this week we have two things. First, uh, there's a site called You Might Not Need jQuery If, and it started uh, quite quite the debate on Twitter uh, and in the in the JavaScript universe. I personally like a bit of consistency in my JS code, especially when it comes to DOM manipulation. Uh, so many developers are familiar with the jQuery, with jQuery and its API, while being unfamiliar with the vanilla JS way of doing things. So just using jQuery can make your code base both more readable and uh, more consistent, especially for the less experienced developers out there. Uh, and thus it kind of makes it more maintainable and future-proof within your company. Uh, that said, so many developers just default to using jQuery without ever really bothering to understand the underlying JavaScript. Seems like everyone agrees with uh, with this quote from the website. At the very least, make sure you know what jQuery is doing for you and what it's not. 
And to that end, this site is very useful. Uh, I highly recommend it for anyone using jQuery to head over and check it out. Second cool thing I found this week, something called Grid. So many people turn straight to a jQuery library like Bootstrap to handle their grid system, amongst other things, and to enable responsive design. But do you really need all of that overhead? Um, so much of Bootstrap is style and interaction, which, which is a great library, and I, I highly recommend it if you haven't checked it out yet. But if you like having that grid and that responsive design stuff that Bootstrap enables, you don't need all of that style and everything like that that comes to the library. It's really not hard to do the basic stuff yourself. So Grid, and this is by Adam Kaplan, shows and teaches you the ins and outs to get you well on your way to writing lovingly handcrafted responsive designs yourself. It's great. Check it out. And what's cool for me this week was we had the uh, Salesforce fiscal year kickoff. And uh, as part of that, Pat Patterson did a really cool demo. It was on sales, uh, Salesforce Minecraft demo, uh, combining kind of the two APIs together and uh, showing the display of how you could work the two of those. Got me thinking, gave Pat a call. We talked for a little bit. And uh, who knows? We, uh, we were looking to see if we can't do something with the uh, marketing cloud and showing a marketing cloud Minecraft demo there as well. And, and uh of course, Pat and I talked about uh, the possibility of the two of us doing some presentations together along the way, a little bit of Salesforce and, and Exact Target, showing how you really combine the two of those together. Well, thanks for listening to the third edition of the Exact Target Developer Podcast. I'm Roger Brinkley, and send your feedback to devpodcast at exacttarget.com.